thoughts on this podcast represent no one and are here strictly on their own behalf and behest, baby. Yes. Now, Dig, if it sounds like they're talking to you about how to fly your airplane, you got to keep in mind that these dudes are speaking purely from their own headspace. You got to interpret their knowledge and their wisdom as being completely general, baby. When it's you in the left seat, you got to consider your situation, remember your training, and fly your aircraft. Can you dig it? <laughs> All right, what time is it? 7-11. 7-11. Pass beer 30, dude, and I'm thirsty. <laughs> yeah. So the uh, um, you're flying along in your helicopter, and you crash into a, into a, into a uh, vulture, into a turkey buzzard. Um, but it doesn't like smash through the uh, t- through the pit, the gla- you know the, uh, the the bubble and kill you. It just kind of like lands in your lap. Right. Have you seen yeah. you've seen this video? Yeah. This is. Yeah. I, I, yeah. We apologize. We're talking about a video again. All right. But uh, it's a video. The link will be in the episode. And I think everybody's seen this video, anyways. All right. Uh, but it's yeah. like somebody happened to be shooting home video or personal video in the in the helicopter while well, this what, is happening. What, it, what yeah. it was? This was an R twenty two, and they were doing video um, of the area around um, the stadium in Miami where they did the Super Bowl. This was a day or, or two before the Super Bowl this year. And they're flying along, straight and level, fat, dumb, and happy. And wham, there's a hole in the windshield and a hole in the bubble of the helicopter. And there's a turkey buzzer sitting in the pilot's lap. But no, the bird survived going through the glass. Well, well and they, the, 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 the helicopter crew, they were, I don't know where they were in relation to where they wanted to be as far as an airport is concerned. But uh, they got the helicopter on the ground back at home plate, apparently. You're right. And, you know, and I was thinking about that. I, I didn't even notice that until you just pointed it out. The guy with the bird in his lap was the guy in the right seat, which in a helicopter uh-huh. is pilot in command. I'd forgotten. Well, in yep. some helicopters, in, in Bell helicopters and uh, um, um, apparently in R-22s, that is, that, I don't know how, how ambidextrous R-22s are, but... Uh, uh, I believe that they're modeled after the bells. I think they're, you know, w- one of the reasons they were designed and built was to to train people to fly the bells. Um, but uh, yeah, in this case, um, uh, I think the pilot was in the right seat of the helicopter. So I'm sure you get on the ground. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, they got to get it on the ground, and the bird uh, kind of shook his head and said. This isn't the drive-through window, and you guys aren't done yet, so I'll be back, and it left. <laughs> you know, I was thinking, though, so they, they, now the video is being shot by somebody on the ground, right. and uh, I really thought the punchline on this whole thing was going to, because, because the, so they landed, right, and they're shutting, they're powering down the helicopter, but the rotor is kind of still, you know, spinning down. It's still going pretty good, all right? And the, and the, the guy's getting ready to let go of the bird, and someone else is going, no, no, don't let go of the bird, the rotor's still going, and I'm thinking the bird's going to fly up into the rotor and get whacked, <laughs> right, on video but no the bird managed to fly underneath the rotor and uh, and get away but uh, well vultures don't exactly you know launch and climb out like a sparrow uh that's true you know from a ground perch like that he's he, he's going to be moving more laterally than yeah. vertically for the first yeah, they're, they're not vertical takeoff uh, um organisms no. And it was oh. kind of amazing. This bird didn't just go down on the ground and start pecking the pavement. I'll tell you, you know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd I'd love to just you know, have been a fly on the wall for when he got back to his nest. Yeah. You know, 
Mabel, you're never going to believe what happened to me today. You call the insurance adjuster, and the insurance adjuster says, could I put you on hold? Yeah. Uh, excuse me, mental word. Uh, could you... <laughs> Yeah, got we've, got a, we've, we've got a live one who just landed. He says he landed in a helicopter with a vulture in his lap, and the vulture just dropped in for a bite. Yeah, that's right. Yes, that's that's the airport. Yes. Okay, thank you. Click. Yes, uh, yeah, so you had what happened to you in your helicopter now? <laughs> Welcome, folks, to uh, episode 173, I think it is, of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on uh, Tuesday evening, February 23rd, 2010. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar is uh, Dave Higdon, who's joining us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How are you doing tonight? Oh, just just lovely. Just lovely. Got to spend most of the day with hanging out with some people where all we did was talk about airplanes. Oh, yeah. I hate it when that happens. I do, yeah, too. Yeah. And uh, now back here at uh, you know the home hangar and got myself a nice barley pop from some outfit brewing outfit called Sherwood Forest. That's right. You're still drinking these uh these uh you know weird beer of the month club things that you got, right? Well, they they send a box every month. Uh-huh. <laughs> you just can't get over the idea that someone's sending you beer without even being asked. They just like it's, beer it, it, appears it's on the It's as nice as when it was a bottle of scotch that was coming by UPS every month. So <laughs> uh, there's a theme here. I have to explore. I this. know. I know. Uh, so, and that other voice out there is Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. There's my train. There's your uh, train. It's going north. It's not headed your way, Jeb. This, this is either early or late. What? The, the tra- oh, that's a, what was that? Uh, that's a freight. That's a freight. Wait a minute. I can't see. It's gone. Never mind. Uh, hi, Jeb. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine, but I have no. I have no trains. No. Well, you know. Uh, toot, toot. Oh, wait. Wait. I'm going to miss these trains. When the day comes that I move away from here, I've really grown to be, I just kind of like them. They're very, I don't know, it's odd. I'm a train person, as well as an airplane person, apparently. Hi, what's going on in Sarasota, Jeb? Oh, just another busy day in paradise, um, rushing around. Um, uh, put, you know, uh, was in the airplane this afternoon, was on the bike, uh, um, going to and from the city, and, and um, you know, just rushing around. This is really the first chance I've had to sit down. Uh-huh. Since, now, uh, since uh, late morning, so without I'm asking not- you to reveal destinations because that's kind of personal, but uh, I know you did some flying uh, recently. Uh, yeah, any, any adventures? Yeah. Would you? Would you, you know? um, no, actually, I, I put about uh, ten hours on the airplane over the weekend round trip. Um, um, you know, completely uneventful. I don't know. I guess four landings over over the two day trip over the two day round robin. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, ATC was, was good for the most part. I had a little hoop to do, um, to duck under some active, uh, uh, MOA. Uh, I was IFR, so I had to go under it. Um, didn't really, uh, didn't even get into a cloud. Oh, okay. uh, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. The wind, the winds weren't all that bad. Um, everybody at the FBOs was, was, you know, good and efficient and polite and, Fuel wasn't all that expensive, and uh, I had mostly smooth rides. Yeah, even don't, don't I, you know, again, a, a, ATC I'm, cooperated, I'm, and you know, it, it was a good, it was a good ride all the way around. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, Dave. What were you going to say, David? You were saying, yeah, don't you just hate it when no, when when no plan comes together? I know, I know. Yeah. It, it, there's very little uh, remarkable about the whole thing. Um, even you know, coming back into the area here um, Saturday evening. Um, 
was it ninety five hundred? Yeah, you did all this in the space of what thirty six hours? This was um, more like twenty eight hours. Yeah. Really? Uh, okay. Put 10 hours on the airplane. You are poster uh, boy for the whole personal just, airplane thing, I'll tell you. Just just an out and back, and uh, um, coming coming back into the Tampa area, uh, overflying the Tampa area, I was smoking down uh, the coast and uh, talking to Jacksonville Center. I was getting fly following. It was VFR, and uh, 9,500 feet, top of the Tampa Bravo is at 10,000, and um Jacksonville cuts me loose as they normally do about 20 miles north of the of the Tampa Bravo and dialed up Tampa and said you know here I am you know request and they were waiting on me they it was a handoff so <laughs> and what's your request uh well how about a Bravo clearance and you know direct uh, direct destination he says well he says got your Bravo clearance but I'm gonna ask you to go down the coast for a little ways um follow the shoreline and uh, then I'll get you direct destination I said all right cool that works and that's exactly what we did. We got, I got just south of, of Tampa International, <clears throat> um, watched a FedEx DC-10 slide very slowly by me um, going into St. Pete and um, got past all that. And he said, all right, just in at your discretion, you know, call us on the app and call us when you're, for, when you're clear. You know, and it, it just worked out great. Um, couldn't have been better. So, uh, you know, I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I, I really enjoy working with the Tampa uh, ATC people. That's right. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. you said the top of Tampa is ten thousand. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. interesting. I'm I'm searching now for this information, but it, uh, it, it, in the Orlando Bravo, about it, isn't it the same? I'm not sure about Orlando. I know Charlotte is like twelve or twelve five. Uh, I've had to go to twelve five to get over Charlotte. Well, they were yeah, not say, happy. Yeah, they, and they I've were had. not happy with me when I did that. You know. So well, we got you, you know, know we got seven thirty sevens out there. I said, yeah, I know that. You know. And and we'll see them. It's it's severe clear out here, guys. We'll see a seven thirty seven, and we'll miss it. Thank you very much. And you know, it, we we've talked about this before. It it, it yeah. was the same bloody thing with uh, San Luis uh, on a regular basis. Uh, one night, a Christmas trip, and because of strange circumstances, we were leaving for the Christmas trip from two days in Kansas City, leaving out of International, flying direct to Juliet Victor Yankee in southern Indiana, which just happened to take us almost dead over Lambert Field in uh, uh, San Luis. <coughs> now, tell me, what safer place could you be That's in right. terms of heavy iron traffic than uh, at uh, 7,500 or 9,500 over the airport that's the center of the Bravo? But right. no, you need to go north. You need to vector. You need to. It's like severe clear, late night, and you don't think those twinkly lights don't stand out. Wait, what's the top? What's the top of this Bravo? Oh, I see it. Never mind. Uh, I'm gonna cancel, and we'll see. Uh, uh, what's the frequency on the other side? The reason it caught my attention is that uh, the top of the New York City Super Bravo is only seven thousand. Right. What's the rationale between when they design these these you know airspaces these Bravos? You know that's a good question. And one why better. Is, why is to Tampa the go all the way up to ten when New York only goes up to seven? Well, you know DC I think goes to ten. Charlotte I'm sure goes to at least twelve. Maybe it's twelve five. I don't remember. Um, I don't know about um, you know Cincinnati or or um, St. Louis. Um, but um, one of the one of the uh, one of the legs of my trip took me uh, fairly close to the Memphis 
uh, Bravo. And I'm sure that's a Bravo. I, I, you know, be honest with you, I'm not really all that sure. I was IFR and I was expecting a, a reroute around them. Um, I was fairly low, um, about 6,000, I think. And, um, I shaved, uh, you know, a segment off of their Bravo going through it. I don't know if I was physically in it or not. I just didn't pay any attention. Uh, but I, as I say, I was expecting a reroute around them. Uh, it was a Friday afternoon, um, but they didn't give me one. They just, you know, I motored on direct to destination and um, surprised me, actually. Mm-hmm. So either one of two things is going on. Either, um, you know, well, I think a little bit of both, actually. I think, first of all, it's, it's facility dependent. And St. Louis and Charlotte are, are, are uh, in my experience, uh, uh, strong offenders. New York, much less so. I've gone over the top of New York and gone in and through it and, and around, and, and they work with you. They work with you here at Tampa. Uh, apparently, they work with you in Memphis, too. Um, but, uh, but the other, Tampa, the other thing Tampa going on and are good because they, man, they handle uh, a boatload of airplanes. They, there. they handle a boatload of traffic. Uh, they, they handle a boatload of airline logo traffic. They handle a boatload of uh, GA traffic. And, you know, they're, you know, the kind of the 800 pound gorillas here in central Florida and a lot of, a lot of the routing North and South is, is done to, to go between those two Bravo. So there's, there's some pretty good traffic if you're if you're at the wrong altitude, as it were, uh, between Tampa and Orlando. But uh, I think the other thing going on here is uh, I don't have any numbers. We could look them up, I'm sure. I think the other thing going on here though is uh, airline traffic's dropped off, big uh, time. And there's just not big as many time. there's not, not as much hardware in the sky right now. So there's you know the 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 ATC's pucker factor is inside. I see. Yeah. Well, interesting. Yeah. It is. I, I was just. I'm curious though about the whole why they design them the tops to be different. Uh, it was some. We'll ask. Search around here. Maybe somebody knows. Listeners, tell us why are some Bravos ten thousand and others because seven? they can. Because they can. Well, I, I've got a friend at eight hundred Independence that could answer this. All right. And I'll, all right. I'll put it to him. That's your assignment. That's your homework assignment. That's right. Your homework assignment. That's right. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking <laughs> to you from the uh, home office here in Dover, New Hampshire. where I, World I guess, headquarters. Full disclosure, or not so much full disclosure, as just explanation. By way of explanation, uh, I am in day 11 of the most persistent cold that I have had in years. Um, and uh, it went through almost eight days of being a full-blown head cold, chest cold, sniffling, sneezing, the whole thing. And then I thought I was getting better, and now I'm kind of like going, up and down and and good days and bad days and uh, so you I, I was listening to my a test recording of my voice earlier and, and and I think it's pretty apparent that something's going on there so that's what that is uh, and uh, and I'll be muting a lot tonight as I as I try and cough up a lung from time to time anyways <laughs> let's see what's going on here uh, oh you know I wanted to report to you real quickly um, so we uh, the last episode we uh, recorded was while I was in in, in Detroit at the uh, world's coolest airport uh, uh, hotel there. And uh, on my last morning in Detroit, I met up with uh, Steve Tupper of the Airspeed podcast. And uh, we, uh, he was very generous. I did, if I had realized how far this uh, drive this was, um, I wouldn't have let him do it. Um, but he was very, very generous and uh, came down to Detroit and picked me up and then drove me, an, uh, it's almost an hour, 45, 50 minutes back to his home turf up at, uh, at Oakland, uh, what's it called, uh, P- Pontiac Airport. Um, and uh, 
we had breakfast at a really cool uh, cafe right off the right out right across the street from the airport, and a lot of pilot folks hanging out there, and uh, that was that was really cool. Uh, while we were there, uh, he had invited uh, Don Weaver, who's going to be the I guess he's like the key uh, CFI for the upcoming Acro Camp that Steve's putting together, and so I got a chance to meet Don, who's a very very cool guy, and. Uh, Talked some more with them, and then we uh, went across the street and got, got a quick tour of uh, part of the airport. It's a big airport. There's a lot of stuff going on there. But uh, got to visit uh, Sutton Aviation, uh, which is the uh, site of Acrocamp in May, and got a chance to check out the uh, Citabria that they're going to be using as their primary aircraft. And uh, it's just kind of a- When you say check out the Citabria, you mean look at it. Yeah, they offered. They wanted me to fly. They were twisting my arm, man. And if I had had, the problem is I was really constrained on time that morning. As it was, we got me back to Detroit, like, you know, with minutes to spare on my schedule. If we had gone flying, it would have been all over. I mean, we would have been, I wouldn't, you know. I I, I understand. You know, but uh, uh, they were very generous and they really tried to convince me to fly. And uh, I just, the timing thing was really bugging me. So I I had to to decline. But uh, I I more than ever now want to go. And uh, and be in the uh, in the cheering uh, stands, be be in the uh, spectator of uh, Acrocamp in May, or they think it's going to be May. They're still finalizing the date. Be the documentarian. Yeah, well, they're documentarian it themselves but uh, I certainly want to go and report and uh, and just watch I, I guess that's true but I was thinking about the as it happens documentary yeah yeah well I think documentary well, well, somehow some way record an episode of the podcast Should from Air, Acrocamp if I can get it, if I can figure out how to do it here um, you know I, I'm hanging upside down in the seat <laughs> of did you see on the uh, Olympics last night um What's his name? Oh gosh, I don't know these guys' names. But the, one of the hosts, one of the anchors, um, he uh, they uh, so they got two primary anchors, and the evening's coverage of the Olympics comes on, and one of them sitting, you know, on the you know outside, you know, with the beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, scenic background in the distance and mountains and harbor and all this kind of cool stuff, and they've got a blimp shot of of a uh, of a big oversized amphib, all right, flying along. Um, over the harbor, all right, and they suddenly cut away to the other anchor who's in that particular airplane, all right, and he's sitting on one of the window seats, and there's a microphone, and he's, and he's like, start doing the intro from the, and while they were doing this whole intro and talking back and forth, the airplane came in for a landing, all right, and actually touched down, and they were cutting back and forth between the blimp shot and the shot from inside as this thing touched down on the harbor, and it kind of sk- you know, skidded to a stop and, and taxied in, and... Uh, skidded to a stop? I'm sure, isn't that you? You're, you're the you're the you're came the, down off came down off the step and taxied into the beach. Yeah, you, you'll eventually learn all this jargon, Jeb. It's okay. And uh, they uh, they uh, taxied up to the uh, dock, and he climbed out of the uh, airplane. It was very kind of cool. A little. Uh, I, I was thinking, okay, this is a uh, this is, here's a great example of how GA is you know valuable and important. Unfortunately, it, it actually was a scheduled airline flight. So. Yeah. Uh, but uh, schedule airline flight that lands on floats in the harbor uh-huh. at Vancouver. Hey, but that's how airline business originated. Yeah. Sure. yeah on sure. Tampa Bay, sure. flight between St. Petersburg and Tampa across Tampa Bay. And I believe it was a three-seat float biplane, a boat hull thing, uh, Curtis, uh-huh. flying boat, uh, for five bucks. That was the cost of the trip across the bay in... Jiminy, what was it? Nineteen oh nine, something like it was, that. It was. I want to say eleven. That sounds 19, better. Eleven. 
Yeah. 1909, I mean, we're still, the Wright brothers were still trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, quick trivia question. Yeah. The early um, airplane racers, racing airplanes. Okay. Any of them, if not all of them, especially the early ones, were float planes. Why was that? Yeah. Why? Um, I don't know. David? I don't know, and I wondered about this ever since. Uh, I, I think it had to do with the prize. The uh, it was a cup, po- possibly. But I, the, the real reason they were all float planes is because the we didn't have runways adequate enough for them to to okay. take off and land. So they needed they needed more runway, smoother runway, because they're you know nothing but wing, you know, small wing and an engine. Um, there wasn't well, enough runway. The Spitfire started out as a uh-huh. as a, uh, a, a a trophy racer design Trump. on floats, uh-huh. uh, which always intrigued me. There was a movie made about that. Well, remember the, the man, Remember the the manufacturer of the Spitfire, Supermarine. That um. Ah, okay, okay. Not that I was there, but I remember the name. <laughs> Not the that arc. either of us were there. We were, we were born in the back seat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see now. So we've got a uh, a story from this is this is I guess technically speaking this is an off field landing of the week um, from uh, rgj dot com which I think is the Re- Reno Gazette and Journal. That's my guess. Uh, uh-huh. Reno, Nevada. Uh, crews on the scene of this morning's emergency landing. Or the headline is Reno fire official three and three passengers unharmed after landing on Interstate eighty. It's definitely an off-field landing. But this story is just really bizarre. There's a bunch of things. Yeah, first of all, it's not. It was not a 172. No. Well, it's a tail dragger. Yeah. So it's a. The picture that I saw made it difficult to tell whether they were pushing down on the tail. No. Look at the look at the um, um, the main gear strut, main gear uh, leg, and the wing strut. Look where they intersect. That's not a 172. Okay. Okay. Um, let's see now. I'm going to summarize this story here. Basically, these guys, these folks, were on a flight, apparently back oh, from yeah. all the way down from Mexico. Right? Yeah, that's uh, not a 172. Uh, let's see now. This is a weird story because they've published it in chunks here. Um, Reno Fire Department operations said the veteran pilot was flying three female passengers. Well, maybe that's the thing right there. Flying three, maybe that's the problem. Yeah. Female passengers on I mean, Monday morning all, back to Reno following a volunteer medical trip to Mexico when a man, mechanical failure caused sudden engine trouble. Quote, I knew I had to land the plane. Uh, DeRusso, 60 of Sparks, who was the pilot, said of his Cessna 172. Uh, the only problem, now now the reporter speaking again, the only problem was the missing airport. Which I'm not sure what they mean by the missing airport. All right, for one thing, I, I know this area a little bit, all right? And if you're coming from the south and you've made it to Interstate 80, you've gone past Reno Airport, 
<laughs> okay. Oops. Now maybe they were being by vectored. how much? By how much? Um, it, it, the the airport is just to the south of the interstate. Uh, and now I should so probably look just, it up on maps. Could he have but, been in a pattern? Well, that's a, he may or, have been vectored around the, the area. The new you know. big, right. get in the pattern. Exactly. He may have been doing just been, that. All right. It could have been in a south operation. Right. And yada, yada yada. But yeah. my point being here that uh, you know he wasn't that far from the from the airport. Plus, I don't know why you land on the highway. There's like more open ground. I mean, I guess Reno itself is pretty built up, and that area over there near the uh, near the airport, even still, even so, is still fairly built up. But uh, but here's the paragraph that really gets me. All right. <laughs> so it says, so the only problem was the missing airport. The next paragraph says, so DeRusso hovered above yeah. U.S. Interstate 80 and slowly <laughs> positioned his plane between traffic, making an emergency landing after flying under the Vista Boulevard overpass. Boo and wah. Yeah, come on. No, 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 no. Um, well, those, those airplanes can hover. Well, you know, the, the, remember that one that was out in Australia? You know, they, they can jettison those wings. Um, yeah, and to these be airplanes fair, can I hover, too. I saw a photograph from a completely different angle, uh, taken from much farther away than the one that goes with this uh, link. And it would, I believe it was sitting on just past... An overpass. Now, whether he flew under it or rolled under it, I don't know. But I believe that the angle on that showed that he'd had to come under an overpass somehow. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe that is what happened. But well, this is like- you know, roll, rolling under it's a piece of cake because the the you know a 180 185 is uh, <clears throat> not as tall as most semi trucks. Right. right. Although the paragraph, and, and again, this is mainstream media, so Lord knows what really happened. Um, it's mainstream. It's yeah. mainstream. It's but, like but ice cream. Ice cream. You scream. The paragraph does explicitly say after flying under the. Yeah, I, so, I know. And my first, my first question about what's wrong with this article was the uh, the one that had him flying four female passengers back from Mexico in a one seventy two. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm this is three three female passengers. And yeah, three female passengers from uh, uh, back to Reno, uh, a volunteer medical trip to Mexico. And I'm thinking, those are very short legs. Well, that plus those very patient and understanding uh, uh, people. But again, you know, <laughs> um, um, the lead the lead paragraph here it, it just kind of gets me too. So, Crews on the scene of this morning's emergency landing are reportedly disassembling the plane in preparation for removal. Right, that's an afternoon update. Huh. Right. Why do why do they have to disassemble the airplane? Why can't they just you know, hey guys, we're, we're going to block off about you know a half a mile of runway of, of interstate here. We're going to let this thing fly out of here. We're going to we're going to get rid of this problem quicker. Than if we disassembled the airplane. Well, no, 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 no. There's a paragraph down lower that describes us some minor, but real was there some damage? Okay, damage no. to a yeah. wingtip and rudder. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, tail, tailwheel broke, a wingtip and rudder yeah. were damaged. Well, and, and that, will, appears, that will happen when you fly under an overpass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and it appears, it appears that the likely cause of this was um, when he. 
again, we're just speculating here. Who the heck really knows? But yeah. it appears that he, he says the engine quit when he switched fuel tanks. Um, it almost sounds like there's some sort of plumbing problem either in the valve or I don't know what, you know. But uh, so, you know, if you got those kinds of question marks, I don't blame him for taking the thing apart. And, and it's that, that, that Mexican uh, av gas. Maybe he hadn't had the gas collator checked by a gas collatorologist lately. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say, you know. Uh, I, can hear, I can hear the rubber glove snapping even from That's here. the ones. <laughs> Anyways, congratulations. Uh, I, I'm willing to accept that on some level, Joe DeRusso uh, made a great off-field landing here, and we congratulate him. I'm just not well, exactly sure what really happened here. Uh, a friend of mine likes used to like to tell me, uh, tell, you know, whenever this kind of thing would come up, about an off-field landing that he had to uh, 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 execute. Uh, about oh an hour and a half after taking off with full fuel. Hmm. I mean, he's got you know eighty ninety gallons of fuel. Well, he's probably got somewhere in the neighborhood of seventy five seventy eight gallons of fuel left on board, and suffered fuel starvation because when he went to change tanks, something sheared in the selector valve just about midway between the two ports, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't go back and it wouldn't go forward it just kind of and he said you know it's an argument for flying really high when you're on a long cross country yes because when one of these really dumb things happen that nobody ever anticipates it gives you a lot of time to think about your options like i wonder if the fuel selector is still under warranty (laughs) (laughs) yeah if i ever get out of this i'm going to take it back well that's you know uh, uh, I've told this story before. Probably told it on the on the podcast. Where I had a friend of mine who uh, was flying a twin Comanche into Miami late one night, about you know twenty, thirty, forty years ago, and lost an engine. Or no, I'm sorry, lost all of his electrics. And uh, I, you know, the guy's telling me this, and I said, "Wow, what happened? What did he do?" Oh, he went went out and bought a Baron. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, there's something comforting. <clears throat> about knowing that you've got a second engine there to take you to the scene of impact. That's right. Yeah, really. Uh, it's like, you know, t- you know two engines, they're twice as likely to have an engine failure. That's right. So uh, uh, a much more sobering, a much more sobering incident here um, and tragic, uh, but I, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about it here, yeah. is uh, a story from... Uh, Let's see now. This is from the N. Everybody, all these newspaper folks are doing just letters. NJ. New Jersey. Yeah, NJ.com, New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey airport crash kills five people after plane breaks apart over Monmouth airfield. First paragraph uh, five people, including two children, were killed this afternoon when a twin engine Cessna broke apart and crashed into a snowy field while apparently trying to land at the Monmouth Executive Airport. Um, uh, witnesses said it appeared a piece of the airplane fell off just moments before the crash. I don't know. Uh, you know, and I guess we don't know much about this particular incident, and I don't know if we want to speculate, unless, Jeb, I know you follow these things, if you have any more information. But I wanted to basically talk about the whole subject of, of in-flight structural failure. Um, I, I've always told people, and, and I've, in fact, assured my, reassured myself with the idea that, that, that airplanes just don't fall apart in flight like this. Um, that that they're really well built, and assuming you didn't pull a whole bunch of G's on the last flight, you know, um, that you're you're safe from this kind of stuff. Am I right? Do 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 do? Yeah, you're you're on the money, well, honey. Well, I mean, well maintained and properly flown airplanes do not fall apart. Period. 
Right? Um, Not without external influences. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. Now, a couple of thoughts. Um, there, and I don't know if it's in this story or, or where it is, um, but um, there are there are there are witnesses and in, in, in uh, aviation knowledgeable witnesses um, who have uh, uh, stated that the pilot of this airplane was doing um, a low pass at the runway. Oh, really? Uh, some 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 have called it an air show pass. Really? Um, and uh, what what that in my mind is is a high speed um, um, pass down the runway, followed probably by some kind of a pitch up, um, sustaining some G's. Now, that's what I've I've learned gleaned from uh, a uh, another news story, if not this one, and B, um, um, well, Tom Turner, uh, who's uh, uh, a friend of ours, friend of friend of mine anyway, friend of the podcast, I believe, and uh, has a uh, um, uh, side business going that he um, um, weekly publishes uh, electronically a, um, uh, a summary of of the week's uh, uh, general aviation accidents and incidents. And and uh, Tom's not a uh, a late comer to the game. He's, he's consulted yeah. on he's, aviation safety professionally. Exactly. He's a flight instructor. <clears throat> Uh, he, and his thing he, is about the the relative lack of experience that most pilots have in doing it, and the 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 fact that when you do the air show pass, uh, and I've seen it and I've done it, and I, yep. I may do it again, uh, but it gent very often. When it's done at a, at a small airport, where the the end of the pass you're going to enter the downwind, so you not only pull some G's gaining altitude at the end of the pass, but you also roll into a turn, uh-huh. and now you're doing a climbing turn where the uh, the the effect of what you're doing loads the airplane uh, somewhat more than just a straight ahead pull up or a straight ahead turn. And uh, you can find yourself on the wrong side of things. Uh, well, I can see that leading to a high sp- high speed stall, but I uh, I don't see how it has the wings tearing off. But maybe. well, what what what's going on here is um, it, it, again high speed pass, uh, a, a sharp pull up, uh, um, and um, yeah, especially a rolling pull up where you, where you're applying G's not. Not in just one plane, but uh, in two planes. You're, you're applying a rolling G, which uh, implies a bank and a pitch up. Okay, and any any fighter pilot, any any well trained fighter pilot, will tell you that you don't want to apply rolling G to an airplane. It's, they're not stressed for it, even if it's a nine ten G aerobatic airplane or or military uh, fighter. Um, you'll see them pitch up. And then roll. You'll see them roll, then pitch up. You will not see them roll and pitch up at the same time. And, and certainly not to. Well, you might see them do it, but it's going to be one of those gentle climbing exact, turnout kind of yeah. things. It's not the air show <clears throat> pass. Right. And then a uh, what would be maybe a three and a half or four G pitch up combined with what could be a three G turn. Mm-hmm. 
And now you're, you know, think about the normal category airplane here. We're talking about 3.8 G and 150% load on that, which is what this stuff is generally tested to or required to show. Uh, That's only 5.7. Is that about right? 50% of 3.8 is going to be 1.9, so Uh 5.7. And in a really fast, at a, at a really high speed in the density of the air that you know, tends to be down close to the runway, right. and you combine that kind of pull-up, the, the pitch-up and the roll, to where you're generating Gs from both of those, you can get past that 5.9 relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, and if there's any kind of weak link in the airplane, uh, that's a bad place to find out about it right yeah i i, f- I found the article uh here it's it's um uh abc com. so it's a new jersey uh abc affiliate um quoted a, a a helicopter pilot um quote i was flying this helicopter here next to the crash eric ross said i was coming down the opposite way getting ready to land and i looked and i had to do a double take I see the plane coming down the runway, not landing, not taking off, doing what we call it looked like a high-speed low pass. And there's a hill in the middle of the field. When I saw him before the hill, he was straight and level. He disappeared behind the hill from my vantage point and then came out the other side. The plane was just rolling all over, and I saw it hit the ground in a big explosion of snow and dirt and everything. Hmm. Um, he, might well again, have, he might well have had something else fail that has well, nothing to do with G-overload. There is, and there, there's some. There's an article on AvWeb. Um, um, I don't know, maybe a month or so ago, where uh, Cessna had, had talked about, uh, uh, has talked about. Um, uh, I forget the exact terminology they use, and I don't want to um, um, misquote or, or misstate uh, the situation. But Cessna is looking at. Um, the, the 337 models, as well as, um, I think, by extension, all of its um, high-wing airplanes, as part of its ongoing and regular uh, continuing airworthiness efforts, um, they are looking at uh, some of these airplanes, not just um, uh, in the wing areas, but in all areas of the airplanes, um, with an eye towards maybe taking some remedial action to strengthen them as they age. Oh, I remember now. You talking yeah. about the, the, and, the wing and the 337 inspections? Yeah, the three three seven is is one of those identified um, as as uh, a likely candidate for some inspections. Yeah, uh, but um, whether whether that has any bearing whatsoever on this, I would. I there's there's no way to say. I think investigation for, is apt to come up with it, though. Right, exactly. That's 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 where I was headed. First of all, we always have to wait for the NTSB to finish its investigation. Secondly, uh, again, I don't want to get into a situation where someone says, you know, oh, you know, uh, uncontrolled airspace says the two are related. We don't know that. We're not saying that. Um, um, for for all intent and purpose, this is you know, um, uh, lesson number one in why you don't do high-speed passes. Yeah. Um, getting back to a second, uh, to the hypothetical uh, uh, high-G you know, high rolling turn, yeah. um, if, if that abuse, say, for example, that abuse doesn't immediately rip the wings off, um, 
what sort of signs might it leave on the airplane? I mean, I, sh- I use a lot of shared airplanes, all right? And uh, is there anything I can look for during pre- pre-flight to see that this kind of abuse has happened? Yeah, look for wrinkles. Uh-huh. Look for yeah. wrinkles. Yeah, wrinkles skin. will tell you. What, would they be in the in the wings in the fuselage in the what, what would the yeah both is a quick answer what i would look for um is is towards the tail you know i'm talking about a conventional metal airplane here uh i would look for wrinkles um uh two-thirds of the way or so um down the fuselage towards the tail um forward of the uh, horizontal stabilizer or the stabilator whatever it is on the airplane um I would look for you know I want, I want to verify that the skin is smooth, um, that um, um, there's no popped rivets, there's no smoking rivets in that arena in that area of the airplane. Um, I want to maybe walk out in front of the airplane and turn around and look back at it and kind of you just eyeball, make sure both wings seem to be symmetrical as far as their distance above the ground. Um, Again, I'd look for uh, uh, any popped rivets, uh, strut brace Cessna. Uh, I'd look for, um, you know, displaced fairings around the, the top and bottom of the strut um, on a Cherokee or a Bonanza or something like that. Again, I'd look for, you know, make sure the, the, the wings are, are um, equidistant from the ground. I'd look for um, um, rivet smoking, rivet, popped rivets around the, the spars. Um, and around and when you say smoking rivets, that's what you mean—a a rivet that's not seated uh, properly. No, or? no, a smoking rivet is one that um, uh, has is basically loosened up. It's loosened its grip a little bit, and um, uh, as there's some abrasion that occurs uh, when when that rivet gets loose in its fitting, um, it basically generates uh, an aluminum powder. Oh, okay. Because all all of this is aluminum, of course, and that powder then kind of leaves a telltale trail, if I can say that. Uh, three correct. times. That's fast. a good question. Can you say it once? Yeah, I can. I can. I can even say it once, much less three tell, times. Telltale. Telltale. Trail. Trail. Telltale. Uh, down. Downwind. Downstream. In, into the slipstream of the airplane, and you'll see what looks like just it's dark material. You'll see what looks like smoke trailing aft of the rivet head, and that's called a smoking rivet. Okay. And now, a loose rivet or popped rivet or missing rivet is obviously grounds to uh, cause to ground the airplane uh, until it's checked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's you know those are the some of the things you can look for on a metal airplane. On a fabric covered airplane, obviously you're looking for torn fabric. You're looking you want to tap the fabric as you go along and and make sure it's got a nice, you know, wrinkles, you wrinkles, know, wrinkles, good wrinkles in the fabric. Um, if you if you thump the fabric or thump a rib or something like that, and and it doesn't sound like the rest of them, again, that's that's good reason for uh, for inspection by somebody. On a plastic airplane, I'm at a loss. Look for cracks. Yeah, I would imagine cracks would, would but I don't know. Okay, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one last sad, very sad, tragic story, uh, and then we'll get on to a little bit more upbeat aviation stuff. Last week, a, a, a severely troubled guy uh, flew his personal airplane into the side of a building in Austin, Texas. And uh, very complicated story. I'm not sure if I have anything to add to it. Do you guys? You want to tell I, the story? I, you want to... Uh, uh, well, I don't. I uh, I don't have much to add to it. I'm sure my, all listeners have... have 
you know, investigated this and, and discovered what they need to know about it's, it. it, it uh, for those of you that have spent the last week or so in a cave, guy with a Cherokee 235 flew into the IRS processing, the building that holds the IRS processing center for the Southwest in Austin, Texas. He killed an IRS worker who was a uh, a, a veteran, a combat veteran, uh, killed himself. Uh, he did this after setting fire to his own house and posting a six-page. Best word that comes to mind is screed that attacks big business, attacks big government, attacks small government, attacks its tax structure, attacks the IRS and people, uh, complains about how his life turned out, complains about how he was not allowed to make a living the way he thought he should. And this isn't an airplane story. The airplane right. was the, the airplane was the weapon of choice. The, this is a deranged person story. And it's a pity. Uh, What's going to be the fallout to uh, general aviation here? <sighs> that's, a, that's a good question. And, and, and it's unknown right now. I think... Um, <clears throat> I, I find it somewhat encouraging that the initial, you know, out... Yeah, it, yeah, there isn't an initial outroar here. You know, yeah, there, there the right really term, isn't. Um, and I think it, it, I think people, um, for once, have have kind of taken some of this at face value, that this was uh, a, a deranged, highly troubled person um, who um, did something that, for many of us, if not most of us, is just simply inconceivable. And um, amen to that. It, it, the, I guess my punchline is that if the guy hadn't had an airplane, he'd have gone out and got a uh, an AK forty seven, or he would have he would have uh, uh, gotten a pickup truck or a minivan, or he would have rented a Ryder truck, uh, or he would have used a claw hammer. It, 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 he he right. used an airplane as as a tool of his vengeance of his his frustration. Um, he could have used any other conveyance. Uh, he could have used many other kinds of tools, but he didn't. He used an airplane. Yeah, and, and it seems uh, to me, it seems to me that none of the proposed security measures that that I mean, even the most heinous security measures that have been thought about for general aviation, none of these would have stopped this guy. No, he, he owned the airplane. Uh, he owned the airplane. He uh, he was based at a towered airport. Um, took off. From that airport, with clearance, on a on a VFR day, flew in legally in in the airspace, uh, and just happened to end up in the side of a building. Um, I don't know how you could devise a regulation to prohibit that or prevent that, especially now. But um, what are you what are you going to do? Are you going to um, sir, I'm sorry, are you going to go fly into a building today? No, I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay, fine. Go ahead out to your airplane then. <laughs> yeah. um, how, how, do you, how do you reach into someone's mind and, and divine that, how, that, what they're going to do when they take off? I listen, the, there, there's a, there's a, the ATC tape is available on the Internet. Uh, I listen to it. Uh, it's It's... Benign. It's it's absolutely normal. What's the, the airspace guy, like there? Is that in like a Charlie or a Bravo or something? Uh, Austin is Charlie, I believe. Charlie, yeah. Uh, and uh, he took off from a, an outlying airport, uh, which may or may not have been in the Charlie. So it was it was only Delta. 
took I off from Georgetown, yeah. Texas. Yeah, uh, it was a towered facility. Um, had a you know normal conversation. There was no, and I, I listened for it. There's no inflection in his voice. There was no, no, I won't be coming back. You know, screw you, cruel world, or anything like that. It was, hey, have a nice day. Hey, you too. You know, and that was the last word recorded. Mm-hmm. And it was in, in a way, it was kind of surreal, um, knowing what we know now. But yeah. um, I don't know how to prevent that. I don't. I don't well, know what you do to to try to uh, stop that from happening ever again. At the same time that you let people like me spend ten hours in an airplane over the last weekend traveling around the country. Yeah, you can't. Well, you can't have both. The 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 bottom line is this is the point of, you know, it was it was kind of interesting because of cycle times. This happened uh, comfortably before noon on the East Coast, uh, late morning in Central Time where it occurred, uh, and before the afternoon was in full swing, all the alphabet groups were reacting appropriately. I think in their responses. Yeah, on a macro level, the politics of this have have, have gotten kind of interesting. Um, and, uh, what you see is, is, um, uh, a, a, um, fairly vocal, um, group, uh, generally, uh, um, thought of as, as right of center, perhaps well right of center, who, uh, have, have in some of these people in, in the mainstream media, I'm thinking of Newsweek, for example, uh, have publicized or published, I should say, uh, some of their, their internal, um, uh, debate on on how to um, um, cover this and how to how to categorize this particular incident, but I, I, right now I find that the the general reaction to this has been um, it's kind of a one off. It's a, it was it was a, a very it was a man who was in a very sad position and, and took a very sad uh, misguided um, action. To uh, to to let out his frustrations, uh, it is not something that um, uh, we expect will happen again. Yeah, and I, I think luckily for the industry and for the community, I think uh, that's that's the correct action, the correct response. Um, I hope it sticks. Yeah, I think that's enough said. And uh, yeah. moving on, I know I'm going to have a drink. Yeah. I think <laughs> I was getting thirsty. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, AOPA pilot blog uh, has a uh, they, they pose a question in one of their forums here, one of their blogs, blog entries. Um, they ask, "Are pilot reports becoming a lost art?" Uh, the the uh, text goes on to say, "Do you think pilot reports, i.e., pyreps, are becoming a lost art? Do you remember any time uh, when a good pyrep really helped you out? And what's the most unusual pyrep you ever heard?" Uh, or made. I confess that I don't submit a lot of pyreps, and I could probably rationalize that by saying that the nature of my flying, I don't spend a lot of time in the, you know, in the system, so it would be kind of a couple extra steps to get in touch and pass it along and so forth and so on. So, um, but for better or worse, and, and I feel guilty about it because I, I suspect and you that, should. Yeah, I, I feel I think pyreps are valuable things. Um, uh, you know, provide you like answer. you like it when they call you up and say, I, "Well, we got information from a pyrep that says." Yes, you don't want to go that way. I, I absolutely do. Um, yeah. How about you guys? Do you do you file a lot of pyreps? Um, 
I, I do file PIREPs when um, the conditions warrant or when, when you know, I'm running into something that is, is A, either unforecast or B, um, I think someone else needs to know about. If I'm having a smooth flight with no issues, the weather's cooperating, yada, 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 I'm not inclined to, to file a, a pilot report. Um, now, there, there are two, uh, uh, two, two um, um, caveats there. One, if I'm talking to flight service anyway, um, if I'm checking in route weather, for example, um, I will, at the same time I'm doing this, I'll dial up, I'll, I'll tell my Garmin to, to spit out um, uh, the winds aloft for me. And I'll, you know, give a pilot report, you know, such and such altitude, such and such location, winds are X, Y, and Z, and outside air temperature is, is uh, um, ABC. Uh, and I'll kind of do that as a, as a matter of routine. Um, if I'm, I gave one back in December, I was, I was coming up, uh, um, um, I was going up to DC actually, uh, coming up, uh, south side of Savannah and 11,000 feet. And, um, I'm in a, I'm in a cloud and I'm, there was no air met for icing. There was none of this out there, but I'm in a cloud and I'm droning along and I happen to, to glance over at the outside air temperature and, I, as I do so, it's ticking from 34 to 33 degrees Fahrenheit. And I'm like, oh, this could get really interesting really quickly. And it just so happens I glance outside. It's, it's, it's still, you know, daylight, but I'm in a cloud, so it's kind of it's dark. And my strobes are flashing, and my strobes are illuminating uh, rain uh, that I'm flying through. And I can't really even see this on the windshield. It's not really precipitating on the windshield per se, uh, or, or I should say, whatever rain there is is very fine, and I can't really notice it because of the lighting conditions. But I see it reflected in the strobes, and I'm like, well, this could get very interesting very quickly. And I pull up another little uh, piece of information in the cockpit, and, and I'm going to fly out of this uh, in about another, you know, ten miles, which. At, at the rate I was going wasn't very long, so I just stayed where I was and kept one eye on the on the outside air temperature, one eye on the windshield, and, the, and my third eye outside the other, looking outside the window at the at the strobes reflecting on the on the rain going by. And um, once I got clear of that, uh, I gave, I called that one in uh, because it wasn't in the forecast. Um, there wasn't any air met out there for icing for that area, and and that kind of thing. So. And, and I've noticed um, in the last year or so that um, both ATC and pilots have gotten uh, very circumspect about icing for very good reasons. But uh, somebody says ice, people shut up and they listen yeah. uh, on the frequency nowadays. And uh, I think this is perhaps in response to the to the Buffalo accident last year, um, uh, maybe some other episodes, I'm not sure, but... Uh, uh, that's a good thing, uh, and, and pilot reports uh, uh, on icing are, are collected urgently, and they are transmitted urgently. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, I'll tell one more little pirate story, and I'll shut up. Um, this is about 20 years ago. I'm flogging a Skyhawk home to D.C. from actually Key West, I believe it was, uh, by myself. Um, I'm in the Raleigh area, uh, maybe south of there actually i guess it was closer to seymour johnson uh air force base and 
droning along. I'm high afar, six, eight thousand feet, happy as a clam. And uh, controller comes on, says, uh, "I got got a pilot pilot rep for you, just from just up the road there." I say, "Yeah, go ahead." So, well, uh, C5A just called in, said they uh, they have a visual on a funnel cloud, a tornado. <laughs> yeah. What do you What are your intentions? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I had you know it was just one of those brain freezes you know it's like I wasn't I didn't know whether to be more impressed by the fact that a C five crew was frightened by the tornado or the fact that there was a tornado out there uh, I, I didn't know what to do and I, I in the in the in the event I just kept I kept motor along I was in clear air and I, you know, I figured I could outrun a tornado if it, if it, if I did in fact see one but I didn't see the weather was bad enough. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, for that kind of of activity, and this was I don't know, supposedly twenty thirty miles in front of me. Uh, I just kept motoring along, and, and uh, you know, had a smooth ride, and and no thunderstorm activity, no nothing. There wasn't any frontal activity going on or anything like that. And I don't know if these guys were you know, uh, uh, you know, flying back from from um, Barbados or something, and, and t- testing the rum or what was going on, but. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's, I guess, you know, my, my little favorite py- pyrep story. And I'll shut up. Now. David, you got any, uh, any interesting pyrups in your checkered past? I got in the habit early and it became a, uh, point of pride that when I called flight service requesting an update on weather, that I had pyrep information ready to provide after they'd given me the uh, right. the, the information right. I requested. It just seemed like a fair exchange. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, having been the beneficiary, like on a cross country where I'm slogging along in 10, 12 knot headwinds, to hear that there was a pilot report of a guy 4,000 feet above me that was getting 15 knots of tail. Tailwind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not going close to that. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you can imagine what my reaction was uh, when I got back on the frequency with uh, air traffic uh, was, could I have higher, please? And it shaved 40, 45 minutes off uh, the, the, the day's flying. Oh, well, off that leg. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the pilot report that warned me that the... Uh, Conditions up ahead at an uncontrolled airport where I'd planned to land were trending toward IFR and gave me an extra 30, 40 minutes to consider my options my and alternatives. And, you know, the alternative wound up being the really only sane option, and that was to not try to do a, a breakout Hope that I break out high enough so I can divert to the airport where I really want to go from the one that's 10 miles farther away but does have an instrument approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went with the one that had the instrument approach. It was far closer to a sure thing. Right, right. You know, it, and we had an extra, I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes to consider that based on a PIREP. Yeah. Because the airport with the ILS was doing way better than the one we wanted to go to 10 miles away. Yeah. Go figure. But some parts of the country, it makes a difference. So, 
uh, I'm still a believer. Uh, it's just too easy. And besides, on those long cross countries, it gives you somebody extra to talk to. It's yeah. just only as you are. Now, remind me, uh, what is the uh, everywhere you go frequency that you can call to uh, to pass 22, along these? Twenty two zero. Yep. And what's well, the call? Twenty two zero is flight watch. Yeah. Uh, twenty two two or in in look at your chart because the. Um, There'll be other discrete frequencies to to use for flight service to to perhaps uh, sure. uh, give uh, pilot reports. Flight watch is for obtaining in-flight weather information, and it's kind of a uh, it's a it's a single frequency uh, nationally. It's twenty two zero. It's a four one one number. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, Dave, Dave uh, makes an excellent point. And uh, don't be taking weather information all the time give some back yeah uh, i'm convinced i'm going to try and try harder to uh to carry my end of the bargain yeah and it's not that hard i mean even handheld gps has got an electronic e6b you can plug in a little data and and uh before you key the mic to ask flight service for that weather update uh, you know you're looking at everything salient that you need to know you get the outside air temperature off the thermometer uh the little box calculates the winds for you uh, you know, you got a true airspeed calculation or uh, an indicated airspeed to play with. A ride report uh, doesn't take long, and you know, who knows? It may be you that gets helped by one of these sometime. Yeah, exactly right. I came across an oh, <clears throat> sorry about that. There's that cold. I came across an interesting uh, Twitter posting uh, recently, and I uh, thought it'd be interesting or fun to talk about. First of all, this is from uh, the the uh, the Twitterer, uh, if you will, uh, who posted this was uh, HIA Airport. It's actually, in theory, the uh, Harrisburg International Airport tweeting, which is a not uncommon thing. Um, I'm not a big believer, by the way, in 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 tweeting that's not coming from individuals, um, but I, this caught my attention. Um, HIA Airport uh, twitters or tweets, uh, if you owned your own airport, how would you run it differently than domestic airports are run today? Now, you know, the context of their question has to do with running a, a big commercial airline airport. Um, and uh, what what I want to know is, uh, how would you run a GA airport different than, than it's run today? And I'm not just talking about, we've talked a lot in the past about FBOs being badly run uh, on the whole. Um, but Let's make this a question for the folks to toss us some answers we can talk about next week, because okay. it's a fairly involved subject to start at this point. I'd, I'd have Burt Lancaster running the airport and George Kennedy running the ground side. There you go. And William Shatner running the tower, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And Lloyd Bridges running the tower, excuse me. I was going to say, yeah, Lloyd Bridges would be my pick in the tower. Uh, him or uh, Elliot Ness. Uh, what was his name? Elliot uh, Ness. Wasn't, wasn't, but wait a minute, we didn't who, William who Shatner. played Elliot the- Ness in the TV show? Sh- Shatner was in the, in the zone as a passenger in one of the, the original zones. No, 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 no. Didn't he, wasn't he one of the tower characters in one of the wacky airport it, movies? It, airplane. Yeah. Shatner wasn't. I think no, Shatner, Shatner wasn't, wasn't, but uh, Lloyd Bridges was one of them. I remember them Lloyd Bridges was. Yeah, but, uh, played Elliot Ness on the TV show. Oh, well. Okay. Robert Stack. Yeah. Robert Stack. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Would you believe? What's that? Uh, well, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sure it won't surprise you to learn I have the DVD. <laughs> 
piece of audio yeah, did the rounds. Your own airport. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm hoping for the next session to visit uh, what's now called Lloyd German Field. Uh, it was Benton Air Park when I uh, got my instrument rating there. Uh, it's gone from 2,500 to 5,100 feet of runway. Uh, they got new hangars. This is in the last several years. Changed hands, new ops building, new headquarters, spanking new hangars, uh, uh, a paved taxiway. Now they double the length of the runway. They're adding more development property on either side of the runway, more instrument approaches. Now they have a restaurant open on the field. So I'm hoping to come back with a, uh, 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 well, would that be a Ray rep, a restaurant rep, rest, rest rep? A, re- a rest, rest rep, yeah, okay. Um, piece of audio uh, was doing the rounds on the internet uh, a couple days ago uh, that, uh, now I'm going to, I was, I bought it, all right? So I was just going to say it, it, it uh, is audio. I don't know, of, man. I don't a, know. A kit uh, of, a, of a controller, some sort of tower controller uh, who, had a kid, presumably his own kid, uh, helping out making the calls was actually kind of saying, you know, and you would presume that he's been coached, but the kid would say, you know, such and such flight one, two, three, you know, you know, go to departure, you know, things like that. And, and all of the, you know, all of the uh, pilots involved were just totally, everybody was charmed by this whole thing. um, If you listen to the audio Um, and, uh, but Jeb, you're not buying it. You don't think you don't think it was real. I I I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I it just strikes me as as a little uh, over the top, um, <laughs> and uh, to have a kid, an obvious obvious kid. This was a tower, uh, basically a tower uh, position. I think it was Laguardia, um, Laguardia or Kennedy, one of the two. Um, it, <sighs> Blue 
the tower controller at Teterboro was trying to hand off uh, the Saratoga to the Newark radar controller. But at the same time, he was on a personal tele- cell phone call. Um, I just find it a little bit over the top that New York area controllers are putting their children on the frequency to control traffic in, so soon after that episode. Um, that, I take it you haven't heard any. I'm, I take it you haven't heard any buzz about whether this. Is I haven't heard any really. buzz about this. I listened to the audio. Um, there's enough in there, there's enough noise in there that, you know, someone could have been very inventive with, with, uh, audacity or some other audio editing program. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing just strikes me as a little odd. It's, it's a little bit over the top for me. Uh, if I had been, um, if, if I was the FAA administrator, if I was in charge of air traffic at FAA, I think I'd ask a few questions. Jet blue white one three three turn left two no no the kid three zero the kid did better than that admittedly he did do he if it was a real deal you know the kid did okay yeah uh, and and um, you know it'd be uh, so more, much more, more power fun to if it. it was Elmer Fudd I've had I've had uh, controllers much worse than him let's put it that way but but i just the whole thing just kind of strikes me as i don't think so okay yeah so all right so the faa uh released uh, a report on the uh, zodiac aircraft recently now these is this the same aircraft that that had the that had the uh, structural failure in flight problems last summer and uh, was everybody was going pushing and shoving on whether they ought to be grounded or not. Is this the same airplane? Same. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the FAA has finally issued a report. Um, I'll read the first paragraph from the story about it that's on EAA.org. Uh, they write several factors, including a wing structure that does not meet ASTM standards for light sport aircraft, are indicated as causes for Zodiac CH601XL and CH650 aircraft in-flight accidents, according to a comprehensive Federal Aviation Report released today. This is February 22nd. Um, uh, uh, can you guys summarize this for us? What's, this, what's the story here? So they really were flawed. Well, I, I haven't really Wait. dived into this. Dave, go ahead. I, I was going to say, that's what they're concluding. And uh, uh, I haven't uh, really had a chance to study this, but... Uh, if somewhere along the way, the uh, product that these guys manufactured got stepped back a little bit in uh, its structural capabilities, I have few doubts that they're going to step up and, and, and meet the need to fix it. But you've got to remember, there's hundreds and hundreds of these things that were out there flying that weren't affected by this. That these are later model, later model airplanes, which leads me to wonder about what might have happened in the in the, uh, in the uh, production shop uh, in their transition of this airplane to a, a, a light sport and an e, a, a experimental light sport. But uh, the company and the airplane have had a long and and very good reputation before yeah. this happened. Uh, and once in a while, we do find out something new that uh, is kind of outside what we expected or what we thought or what we knew. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And this may be one of those. You know, at one point they were worried about flutter and uh, that that was contributing to the structural failure. And at another point uh, they were worried a little bit about how the control uh, hardware was adjusted uh, because that they thought might be what helped the flutter right. occur that was causing the, the structural uh, failure of the airplane. Now it appears that, that it, it was not really any of that. And uh, it's going to take some mods. The companies developed some mods to make it happen. Uh, Chris Heinz and his sons have been around this business for a long time. It's yeah. really <laughs> difficult for me to conceive that there was anything uh, calculated in this, that there was anything that they're not going to fix and that these guys aren't going to be around for a long time in the future. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Here's a story that we started to get into uh, a little bit last week. And then we said, no, let's wait and let's talk about this a little bit more. And now we're already running out of time again, but let's just talk about this for a little bit here. Um, this is a, let's see, a story from the Las Vegas Review Journal website, pilot lands safely after buzzing and <laughs> striking a car. So this is apparently one of the preliminary events in the uh, this year's Darwin Awards, right? <laughs> <laughs> we the have, Darwin uh, prelims. Yes. Right here on yeah. Excellent, yeah. Jack. We have, yes. we have uh, some guys in a car and some guys in an airplane apparently playing chicken. Uh, Along a road, and uh, the and the the airplane struck the, the gear, landing gear of the airplane struck the windshield of the car as they passed by each other. All right, and uh, and this this damaged the car. It damaged the airplane. The am, airplane landed, you know, somehow safely, and apparently, um, you know, no well, the souls car were crashed in the car. But but my question was that I found this story not totally plausible because it seemed to me that you could not have that kind of a contact. Uh, and and the airplane continued to fly. I mean, let alone damage the airplane. I mean, it just seems like this would knock it out of the sky. And you said, oh, you, you said no. Let's talk about structure well, and let's talk about strength and let's. Yeah, there's 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 a she- there's the sheer force that you get with that kind of an impact can take away things without tremendously affecting the attitude of the machine to which those things are attached. You know, it's basically inertia at work. Uh, and suddenly one of the landing gear legs meets the glass and the glass windshield frame of a convertible. And it's loaded in a way that it was never designed to be loaded. And at, 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 at levels that are just got to be off the scale. So the gear shears away. And yeah, it probably made the airplane wobble a little bit, but <laughs> you guy think? Goes on. <laughs> well, then the, the, the guy in the convertible, he wound up having to be pulled, you know, be freed from the car with the jaws of freaking light, the, the, the jaws the, of life, because he went completely out of control yeah. after the the, the the impact. I'm reading from the story. The impact sheared off the left main landing gear of the plane before the pilot landed. Shortly afterward, yeah. in a field. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> duh. My, I, you know, despite the engineering one-on-one lesson we're getting here, um, my only real question is, 
which one of them had to put their beard down to do this? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But but th- yeah, this is definitely uh in the running for for the for the the 2010 Darwin Darwin well, Award. All right. Shout outs. Who's got shout-outs? I got one here. First of all, I want to announce, uh, we just decided today that we're going to hold the uh, second New England UCAP uh, Nashua meetup on March 6th. Uh, we had a really good time back in oh, no- cool. November. Uh, we got together on relatively short notice and had a bunch of people and had a uh, fun lunch and wandered around the airport a bit. And so we're going to do it again. Um, Saturday, March 6th at 10 a.m. at the uh, at uh, Nashua, New Hampshire, Alpha Sierra Hotel. Uh, so we're all going to meet at the, uh, I believe it's called the Airfield Cafe, but it's the restaurant there right on the field up on the second level. Uh, we'll kind of gather on their deck probably like we did last time and, and, uh, and chat while we wait for our tables. Um, rain or shine. So, uh, come on by, uh, and, uh, we'd love to see you there if you're, if you're in the New England area and want to come up, um, look for, you know, information. Like I said, we're going to, I'm going to be there. If I can get there by any means possible, I'll be there. So, um, but if you want more information, we'll probably post some stuff in the forums and maybe even on the homepage of the website. So that's uh, Saturday, March 6th at Nashua, New Hampshire. Who's next? The Great <laughs> Southeast UCAP Meetup 2.0. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. We'll, there we go. We'll convene, okay, on, drum roll please, mm-hmm. uh, let's aim for Saturday, April 10. 2010. Woo. Same time, same place, which was uh, at the Venice Airport. Uh, uh, Hana Luana, I believe, is the uh, the name of the restaurant. Um, uh, and we we're going to aim for 1 p.m. 1300 local. Boy, I, I I've got to tell you now I'm 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 inviting myself to that one because I'm okay. already going to be in state. That's right. You're going to be here. That's right. I added attraction. Um, you'll have two thirds of the UCAP team. <laughs> well, you know, there's a real possibility, and, and, and there's a real possibility we may have all, we may have three thirds, we may have it four could be thirds. A, it could be a actually, UCAP because hat Ames trick. may come up for this again. It That's could right. be a UCAP hat trick. Oh my God! Yeah. So uh, now, now we we're will eat hats. Then we are tentatively, tentatively going to um, uh, schedule this for the Honoluana uh, Bar and Grill there on the on the airport grounds. Uh, we may come up with a, a rather more interesting locale for mm. this. Ooh, uh, I love secrets. I love, but, yeah, right. Uh, for now, we're still aiming for Saturday, April 10, 2010, 1300, in somewhere in the Sarasota area. Yeah. Let's, call it, let's call it the Venice Airport for now. Okay. Cool. Likewise, watch the forums. Watch the uh, uh, UCAP homepage. Watch, watch this space. That's right. Yeah, that'll be cool. All right, David, you can't put it off any longer. Uh, two real quick ones. Air show season starting. Sun and fun is seven weeks from today. Mm, if you yeah. haven't made your plans, be thinking about your plans. We're going to be there, and we're going to be doing our live ones from the radio station porch. Uh, along with some other things, and uh, hopefully seeing a, a, a big batch of you there. Seventy uh, fifth anniversary of the first B seventeen. Seventy fifth anniversary of the first DC three flights are this year. Dig them up, look them up. We are not so far from 
the roots of major aviation history here that you can't still find folks that were alive and flying at that point in time. And speaking of March, which was uh, one of the things that uh, Jack was talking about with the UCAT meetup in Nashua, March 31st, if you haven't replaced your paper, airman certificate, mechanic certificate, etc., etc., with a plastic new improved, got its own hologram, Wright Brothers photos, plastic one, uh, you only have until March 31st to do this. Uh, just replacing what you got can't be much cheaper. Two bucks. Mm-hmm. Two bucks. But if you, between now and, say, March 7th, pick up a new rating, that will get issued on the new plastic certificate for no charge. Yep. Or... If you've got an old paper certificate with your social security number as your pilot certificate number, you can get this done free by requesting that that be changed through the FAA website. I did it early. I did it late last week. It took all of about ten minutes, uh, including registering with the FAA to be able to access the website. Uh, six minutes, I say here. Uh, and asking them to change my certificate number from my social to a new number made my new plastic certificate a freebie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got uh, mine. You don't, uh, you, you don't want to go without this on on uh, on April one. Your paper ain't going to be valid no more. Yeah, I got mine replaced uh, a couple summers ago at Oshkosh. For for years now, they've been doing them free for you if you put filled out the form or gave them the information at Oshkosh, um, and I simultaneously uh, managed to convince them that I was English proficient, so I've also uh, got that on my license. <laughs> how how well. did Dave do it? Yeah, I know. Well, you know, so it just I, goes I, to I, show I, you. I, I, I used a, uh, a uh, ringer to fill out my paperwork. Ah, okay. okay. That's it. Any more shout-outs? All right, time to stick a fork in this one. Jeb, Jeb Burnside is a uh, an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor in chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the internet? Day job, aviationsafetymagazine dot com. Uh, personal website uh, is, has been, will continue to be jeburnside dot com, and uh, occasionally pop up on Avweb and uh, uh, aviationconsumer dot com. Very cool. And Dave Higdon is a, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Uh, David, where can people find you on the net? Oh, DaveHigdon.biz is the uh, photo website, and we're, we've embarked on a uh, weekend project here for the next couple of months to redesign that. Uh, Avbuyer.com, uh, AviationSafety.com, AEA.net. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. I want to thank uh, Jeff Ward for creating our, our excellent show notes. We want to thank uh, Royce Earl and Mike Morgan and the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we play at the beginning of every episode. We're also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. 
And don't forget you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation wiki, movies list, wiki. the new ratings. I really hoped, but oh, we're going to get yeah, I know. The, uh, the new ratings, webpage of fame, and more. All of that at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live long through aviation because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTF, dude. <laughs> Can somebody tell me where the NyQuil is, please?